Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. We get some pretty eclectic guests on this podcast. And we got some pretty good hunters on this podcast too. Jay Allen Smith, I like to call him Elaine because he is actually French, is a past Weatherby Award winner. If you don't know what the Weatherby is, it's an award for the amount of species killed essentially around the world. And Alan is a past Weatherby Award winner. And so I wanted to have him on because I wanted to ask him some questions about hunting adventures. What's the best hunt? What's the worst hunt? What's the toughest hunt? What's the animal that if you only get to hunt it for the rest of your life, what would that be? It's an amazing 30 minutes, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Normally, you have, like, the last time I saw you had this, like, big, bushy mane. Yeah, it got a little old, you know, and having to maintain that thing all the time. And uh, as most people's comments revolve around the fact that I obviously don't spend much time on it, and, you know, it's kind of a mop, so... I figured I'm going low maintenance. This is the shortest I've had it since I think I was like 12. Really? Yeah. But uh, feels good. You know, it's uh, 
But you've been posting some very old school pictures lately of you with this beautiful brown mane of hair. Yeah, it's always been long. It was brown pretty much until I was like 30, 31. And then it started filling in on the sides, you know, started getting more and more silver. And uh, I think by 40, I was pretty much white. Silver and distinguished, right? Yes, that's the way I like to think of it. Yes. Well, you do look distinguished. Are you wearing like a like a pipe, a, a smoker's robe right now? This is a, uh, a shirt thing that I've got. It's the, you'll notice, uh, you would appreciate the uh, tartan. This is the, mm-hmm. black, the Black Watch tartan. My grandfather was a piper in the Black Watch in Scotland in World War One, and that. So uh, it's kind of a tradition around here. I like it. I like it. And behind you is Monster Mule Deer. What kind of caribou is that? That's the Arctic Islands one. That's a, a tremendous one. You know, they're just a little tiny one. And uh, I think at one time he was like in the top three or four or something like that. He's a, he's a dandy. All right. Let me ask this since you just brought it up. Is score everything to you? No. It's, it really means nothing, in all honesty. I was more concerned, and I guess am, about the you know, going and getting new things and, 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 and new adventures. And, you know, let's be honest. I mean, I've was heavy into the species, you know, trying to chase as many species as possible. It's no secret, but partly, I mean, obviously you want to get the biggest one you can get, but am I going to walk away from a nice mature animal on, you know, day eight of a 10 day hunt because I'm going to hold out till the last day and maybe not get something. No. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it just isn't in my DNA. And, but on the other side of the coin, well, I have been very lucky in that I have gotten some tremendous trophies through the years, be, you know, by luck. I've never been a guy who said, you know, when I go on a hunt, well, I want to go, but I, you know, I got to have a top 10 or, or I got to have a, you know, it's not number one. I'm going to be mad, you know, kind of a thing. Cause it's, that's not the whole purpose, you know, going, that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, well, um, let, let's, uh, let's introduce you to the audience, and you have corrected me via email, not uh, face-to-face, in which I was, again, trying to be respectful of my elders and pronounce your name the right way, Elaine Smith, and you're like, no, dude, look, it's Alan. Just call me Alan. So, J. Alan Smith, please introduce yourself the proper way. Thank you so much for having me on here. This is a real honor uh, to get to spend some time with you. I've been listening to your other ones, and you've had some great folks on here and uh, learned a lot and learned a lot about the people that have been on here. So this is pretty special for me to get to share this. But a little history on the name, though, that A-L-A-I-N is the French version, and my mom is French. So uh, that's I got it from her, and that was my grandfather's name on that side. So... Uh, you know, the French would say, Alain, but, uh, you know. I like that. Next time I see you, I'm going to say, Alain, Alain. Comment ça va, monsieur? I have the same problem, right? Kroger being my last name, if you have, but it's got an umlaut on the O, so it's Kroger. Kroger. So, exactly. Very, very German. Yeah. Um and do people ever ask you if you own a grocery store or anything, a Kroger grocery chain? Like so it's interesting. Better? In South Africa, you've hunted South Africa a lot. Kruger mm-hmm. is a very common last name in South Africa. So I always had to correct people there. Oh, you're Robert Kruger. No, no. 
Kroger, it's Kruger with an O, Kroger. And here, people don't understand my accent. So they're like, how do you spell your last name? I said, just like the supermarket, Kroger. <laughs> yeah, if only you were an heir to that. You would oh, I'll give you a funny it. story about that. You'll enjoy this. So when I was a poor PhD student, I had to fly back to Australia to see the family. And I was like, "How? what kind of Christmas presents am I taking home? I went to the Kroger grocery store and I bought all sorts of Kroger branded stuff. <laughs> Bricks of coffee, sweets, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. And they thought it was the best thing. And I wrapped it in Kroger packets as well, right? So they were just like blown away. I, actually, it's funny you said that because in Australia, they also have Smith potato chips. That's right. And I think I took a picture with one and posted it one day and said, oh, my God, am I famous in Australia or what? I got my That's own right. potato chip brand. That's right. Well, um, we can take this conversation in all sorts of directions, and I haven't prepped you about what we wanted to talk about and whatnot. But there is something we've obviously interviewed. I've interviewed you for the Weatherby Award, and it was a very serious type endeavor, and you're not the most serious of characters and um, people are going to be shocked by, you know, the seriousness of that interview when we finally release it. But in that interview, obviously the Weatherby, you're a past Weatherby award winner and have obviously killed and hunted a lot of stuff everywhere. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about is some of those adventures, if you're up to it. Because clearly, a lot of the people that are going to listen to this have never heard of some of the species that we will discuss and have only dreamed about the places that you've been. So, is it a fair question of me to say, like, what is the, maybe we just have like a series of what is the, right? So, what is the hunt to you that you're like, holy stuff, I am never doing that again? Polar bear. Uh, hands, Polar bear. hands down, the most miserable, uh, ill-prepared, um, you can't exaggerate. I went uh, right before, would have been in the early 90s when they were still open in Canada, but you couldn't bring them back to the U.S. But I still wanted to get one, and I'm actually a Canadian by birth, so I figured, well, I can leave with my cousin or something like that, you know. But... When I got there, they had, it was all dog team, no snow machines. And we went out there. We had two pup tents, a Coleman stove, an ice chest, which I, I guess was just a box to carry stuff in because it didn't do any good. <laughs> the warmest it ever got was 30 below, and it averaged about 35 to 38 below zero, which is also the same at Celsius at that level. And I never took any of my clothes off. The uh, natives were supposed to have um, caribou robes, you know, caribou pants and caribou coats and all that kind of stuff. And I'd sent the money in advance and I got there and they weren't, they didn't know anything about what I was talking about. So luckily I'd taken, you know, all my Alaska gear with me, but I literally never took anything off the whole time, including in my sleeping bag and just froze my hiney off. And I did get a really nice bear on the eighth day which and it was the only bear i saw and it's a good thing it was as big as it was because it was going to die you know it was uh, i was done and uh, you were done yeah it just it just wasn't there was nothing fun it's a great challenge and i mean you know there's a ton of great stories about it and everything else but but there was nothing fun about it it wasn't like oh my gosh this is the best thing i've ever done 
No, and I like tough hunting. I mean, I like going in the swamps, and I don't mind being in the cold. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm from Prince mm -hmm. Albert, Saskatchewan. It's cold all the mm -hmm. time. You know, it's, but we just uh, no, nah, there was nothing good about it. I would never, never do it again. Okay, so that was like the worst hunt. Yeah. What was the toughest hunt that you're like, holy shit! I can't believe I just did that. And probably, if you think back right now. I'll do it again. Not uh, with some convincing, right? Just like, right. or you've had some time now that sort of amnesia has set in and you've forgotten about what made it miserable, but then you remember what made it so fabulous. Like the polar bear hunt wasn't fabulous. It wasn't just like, it was like, okay, it's done, but I'll never do that again. I think the, the greatest challenges have always been the self-guided hunts. And I was blessed that I was living in Alaska for quite a few years. So we could go hunting up there on our own. And a uh, buddy of mine and I, Mac Paget, we went on quite a few sheep hunts together. And there's just something about getting dropped off in a super cub in the middle of nowhere. And this is before sat phones and before GPS and all that kind of stuff. You got dropped off and hopefully they came back on the day they were supposed to, 10 days later to get you. And we would go out there with a pack on each other's back and off we'd go. And our deal was we would only shoot one sheep between the two of us each year and then we'd alternate because most of the places we went, there was no way in that time period that you could get the sheep, two sheep, two sheep back and all that Granted, if we would have shot one on day one, it, you know, it would have been possible, but typically it'd be a two, three day hike just to get to where, you know, it looked like there'd be shoot, that kind of a thing and all on your back and, you know, really an outstanding adventure and incredible. I have so, so many fond memories of those trips and same thing, you know, with a lot of the caribou hunts that we would go on and bear hunts and, you know, hunting a brown bear when you don't know what you're doing, but <laughs> they give you a tag. You know, as, as a resident, you're like, huh. But yeah, that was, <laughs> it was awesome. And it was a great way to learn to hunt. You know what right, I mean? Right. You, you know, I was early 30s, that bracket. And, you know, I've been doing some hunting, but nothing like that and nowhere near that kind of adventure. And you, know, you learn a lot of lessons about what to pack, what not to pack. You know, there was a lot of gear left where the plane dropped us off after day two, I can tell you, you know, all the extra goodies you were packing around that all of a sudden eight hours later, you know, I probably don't need that wrench that I've got with me or, you know, that, right. six, that six pack of Pabst blue ribbon is going to have to wait at the landing strip, you know, that kind of thing. So. Yeah. It's amazing. Those, um, obviously I've never done anything remotely close to that. Um, I see people now, obviously, it's sheep season up north right now, and people are going in 10 days, and I'm like, man, could I do it? Like, is this something I could see the adventure? But as you just said, it took you two days to hike to the place or three days to hike to the place where there was even sheep. The biggest thing about that also is, and it really helped later on in hunting, the perseverance and the mental attitude that you develop by doing sheep hunting or any of the mountain hunting, the, if you're in decent shape, I think the game becomes mental after that because you hurt. There's, there is no way to get in good sheep shape in the city. 
unless you're climbing mountains or you live out there or, you know, you're living in Colorado at 10,000 feet and you work on a farm all day or something, maybe. But for the average guy, there's no way. So when you mm-hmm. get out there, it really becomes a mind game of, yeah, my legs are burning. Yeah, my back's sore. You know, I've already lost five pounds. It's only day three. But you just keep going. And you just keep one foot in front of another and you keep climbing. And, you know, and the reward, of course, at the end is so wonderful to know that you've outwitted yourself and done something that there's no way if you looked at it on on a map, you go, I can't walk 25 miles up and down hills like that, you know, but you do. And But I think it pays off when you end up later on going to, especially the third world countries, you know, whether it's the Tajikistans or the... Uh, you know, Kyrgyzia, uh, some of the more remote locations where it's not going to be great conditions. You're not going to have a good camp. The food's going to suck. You know, your bags might not show up, but that's where that perseverance part and that, you know, just willingness to just keep going that you learn earlier, it really pays off and it helps with your attitude. And and I think for sure it helps with your success. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. What is the most, and, and, and to that sheep point, you can't cheat sheep hunting, right? There's just no cheating it. Right. It's going to suck ass. And again, I'm not speaking from experience at all. I can just see it though. There's just no way around it. Unless you get incredibly lucky, you camp, oh, there's a sheep, walk, a, you know, half a mile, mile, shoot a sheep, but that hardly ever happens. And on top of it, it's the hardest shooting that you'll ever have to do. You know, even if it's a 250, 300 yard shot, which of course nowadays, you know, there's a lot of tack driver rifles around that are, you know, incredibly accurate. Not like the old days where, you know, you weren't sure what was going to happen half the time when you shot, but even in, you know, you're laying down on rocks at a steep angle down or a steep angle up, or you got a crosswind that's blown through a valley and he's 350 yards away. And, you know, all your skill set is comes into play after you've already busted your ass for five or six days, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so it's not there. Everything about it is hard. And I think that's why it's so rewarding. And you see so many guys get addicted to mountain hunting. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I love it. I'm blessed, you know. With what do you think you're addicted to, Alan? What kind of hunting do you think you're addicted to? Like if you had one choice of you were going to hunt this one thing for the rest of your life, what is it? Cape buffalo. Oh, yes. I. <laughs> after I'm just talking about how much I love mountains and everything else. No, no, no. I, but I don't know what it is. What is I, it about Cape buffalo? I. For those that have never hunted a Cape buffalo. There's what is no, what are they called? Give them tell them first what are they called? Black Death. Black Death. Why are they called Black Death, Alan? They kill more people than any other hoofed animal. Yeah. Uh, Whilst being hunted. Right, correct. Uh crocodiles mm-hmm. kill more on the villages and things like that. But I'm talking about mono e mono going in after something. Now let me clarify that also. I'm talking about trying to get in close on them to hunt. Them. Sure, sure. You can shoot all the Cape Buffalo you want at 250 yards with a 375, which is 
I shouldn't say all you want, but there are places like, say, Moyawasi, where you've got some wide open areas or uh, parts of Zimbabwe and that where, you know, you could make a 250, 300 year shot, I guess, you know, if a guy was feeling like any sort of broadside. But what's the point? What's your weapon of choice? Uh, I with like a buffalo. Sh- I like to shoot him with a 577 Nitro. And not open sights. Yeah, open sights, uh, old double, old Scottish double, uh, Alex Henry. And, you know, it's, uh, we like to say that Sir Alex, which is what we call my rifle, kills on one end and maims on the other because a 577 kind of has a lot of kick to it. Especially is that the video? There's a video circulating of you uh, taking a shot and it, putting it on your ass. Is that the 577 or is that like a 600 Nitro Express? That was actually a friend of mine's 500, which he just got it brand new. And he said, hey, do you want to try this thing? And it's all gold inlay. And it's just, you know, it's a, one of these works of art, you know, a $150,000 rifle kind of a thing. And I said, no, you know, like, I don't need any practice. I, I like to shoot him at stuff, but I don't like pulling the trigger just for fun. So we set this bottle up on a tree and he finally convinced me. And luckily, the PH turned his cell phone on because to it record it. Because smoked it, you. Because again, well, both barrels went off. And oh, God. Fun. <laughs> and I pulled the back trigger. There's been a lot of comments about, oh, it doesn't happen, and that was your mistake, and blah, blah, blah. Trust me, folks. I've killed a lot of Cape Buffalo with a 577 and shot that thing a lot and killed elephants and everything else. You pull the back trigger first, if it's a two trigger, because your finger is going to slip, and it's off that front trigger. And I've done it several times. I think four where it actually knocked me down in the old days before I remembered to keep pulling the back one. But anyway, yeah, that video's on the YouTube. It's gone crazy. And I think it got like six and a half million views on Facebook or something. So it's, you know, all the stuff I do trying to look cool and be a big game hunter. And then what's the one that's most popular is the one where I get knocked in my ass by somebody's borrowed, you know, rifle. But, uh, but I think the thing with Cape Buffalo that's so amazing is, when you get up on them, rarely are they all by themselves. So you've got multiple animals looking at you. You get in close and they've got a zone, which a lot of the dangerous game does, that you're okay to a certain point and you can see their demeanor change. I know you've been around the African mm-hmm. animals and know exactly what I mean, where they're, they'll be fine and they're, they got their eye on you and yeah, you're okay there and they might know you're there, but it's not a big deal. But once you get in that zone, the game is on and, you know, it gets pretty exciting and, and they're hard to kill. If, unless you get a really good first shot, they can absorb lead. I've, I don't, you know, I'm not sure how much I want to go into the, the number of times I had to shoot them multiple times because people go, oh, you're a lousy shot. No, I'm talking about like the thing was dead on its feet and it's still coming. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, you've heard story after story after story. I remember. When I was a uh, honors student in South Africa, we were working in Kruger National Park, and there was a researcher out of Washington State working in, and it was a riparian uh, ecosystem study that I was on. And this old school researcher, riparian guy, his name was Bob Nyman, was walking in front of the game guard through the riverine bush. They heard the buffalo bellow. Okay. 
By the time the game god had grabbed Bob, thrown him behind him, and lifted his 458 to his shoulder and stepped aside, he said that, that Buffalo had already dropped its head ready to swipe him. He knew the Buffalo was dead when he pulled the trigger. The bullet went straight through the boss. He knew it was dead because it didn't swipe him on the way past and just slid to, slid to its death behind him. Yeah. Yeah, cantankerous curmudgeons. Cantankerous curmudgeons. <laughs> I might steal that, curmudgeon. I don't think I've ever used that in a sentence. Oh, it's the best word in the world. Yeah. You're not quite there yet. I in know. about 20 years, That's when right. I see yeah. you, you're going to be the, the worst curmudgeon in the world. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, they say that when you get older, you just become more like yourself. So that's what, that's what I'm afraid of. So yeah, feel free. Next time you're on a, a rugged X expedition in the field, we're going after this cantankerous curmudgeon. Thank you, Kroger. Yeah. I'll, when you see me look back and nod, you'll know that's for you. No, I love it. I love it. All right. Tell me, um, what is probably the craziest destination? that you've ever hunted, like logistically to get to? A uh, couple. Uh, the Central African Republic, right before it closed down, uh, getting into the center of it, you know, it was a charter. Then they have a revolution while you're there. The UN takes over the charters. Uh, there's only five planes there anyhow. They take them all and nobody comes to get you. And you have to call the... What were you hunting? We were hunting uh, bongo and buffalo and uh, the jungle species on this trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rudy Lubin, the great PH that was down there for years, he had an area that you could hunt Lord Darby at a certain time of year and all those called the Plains game. And then from the same camp during the wet season, you could hunt bongo and that in the... Uh, you know, jungle that was surrounding those areas. It was just a wonderful place. I was there several times, but it was miserable getting in and getting out. And we actually got flown out by a, by the Catholic rescue mission who sent us a 206 from uh, Cameroon. And uh, yeah, they just hauled us to Cameroon with no paperwork, no nothing. And that's how we got out and, you know, started, you know, introducing the, little general that was there in Cameroon to meet us to my friend, Ben Franklin. And luckily he knew who Ben was. So uh, everything worked out good. And we got out, we flew out of Cameroon instead of Bangui. So it was a pretty good adventure. But I think uh, the craziest though, is when you go to Northern Pakistan and go on those, uh, say the Markor hunts or those Ibex hunts, where <laughs> you leave Islamabad and you basically have a lead car that's not army or police, depending on the area you're going through, and a follow car behind you, and you're in there, and you feel like some diplomat or something or some bigwig because you got, and they're all, you know, machine guns, full blown. You know, one guy's got a 50 cal in front of you, you know, and it looks like something out of the Taliban. And I'm not knocking the Pakistanis because I love Pakistan, great place. But it's a little hard to get used to the first time you do it where, how come we have to have all these guys around? I thought we were just going up to shoot some sheep and stuff, you know, like. Right, right. You know, and I think it's probably a little bit of overkill because, I mean, I've never had any trouble there. I've been there, I don't know, eight or nine times, probably maybe more than that. 
and great place. Got great friends there. Um, love to go back again. I don't have an Astor marker, so hopefully one of these days, you know, if I can rob a bank or something, I can go back and do it. <laughs> yeah. Now's the time to go get them, man. The, I hear the permits are going cheaper now. Yeah, but when it comes to marker, cheap is a relative term, let's just say. <laughs> um, Very true. Very true. It's a, it's a crazy place to go and, uh, you know, all the different people and the different tribes that are there that you pass through and each region is different. And um, it, it's, a, it's a great place, but it's pretty hard to get used to. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. carrying an AK. And, uh, but I, I would highly recommend it to anybody who's looking for an adventure. It's a, a super place. And there's some pretty good deals. You know, the Ibex are reasonable to go there and hunt. Okay. Craziest. No, no, no. I'll keep that one. Um, have you got like a nemesis animal that you went after? Like it took you m- multiple times just to get it. Brown bear. And you're talking in Alaska. And you're talking to a guy who lived and worked in Kodiak, and I kept an apartment in Kodiak for years. I was, you know, I was, I was thinking you're going to say a zebra dica, um, you know, any of these crazy species. You say a brown bear. I think. I went on, I mean, a ton of self-guided ones, which, you know, you deserve what you get because you don't know what you're doing. But trying to get a good brown bear, I've got 500 and probably 20 times. And uh-huh. I've never to this day killed a decent one. I mean, I've What's shot- What's a decent one? You know, 10 footer? Nine and a half, 10 footer. You know, one of those monster <laughs> ones that you see at the conventions that you go, God, I'd like to have a bear like that. I mean, I've shot, you know, my share, but never that big, you know, and I've just never seen one out there. And uh, so, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like you say, a nemesis thing. And, you know, yeah, a lot of the dikers, I mean, I don't know how many times I've hunted for, you know, all the various ones. I've been lucky on all of them except a zebra diker. And I don't have a black diker either, but there again, that's not. No zebra diker yet. No, No zebra diker in your repertoire? No, I was the first one in there uh, when they opened back up, uh, Tom Hammond and I, and uh, he was in, he didn't get one. I went in right behind him. And uh, Yeah, but how the hell can Tom Hammond, the dude's like a giant. How do you sit him in a tent and make him be still for eight hours a day? Come on, let's be, let's be serious here. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately for Tom too, he got really sick while he was there and he had mm. to get the hell out of there. But, but there again, that's another one of those hunts that, I'm not so sure I really need a zebra diker that bad to go back in that jungle, hunt at night, in the rain, following a guy that's got a little flashlight, and you have one nanosecond when he sees eyes to shoot, and you don't even know what it is. I mean, it's it's tough, tough, you know, hunting. They are getting more of them now. I think they've got it figured out. I think the success rates, you know, back up to about 50% or something now, but uh, I don't think anybody got one the first eight or nine of us that went, we got other stuff, you know, water, chevrotain and things like that. But, uh, mm-hmm. it's a tough hunt mm-hmm. and, and just not, you know, not a pleasant hunt either. Let's face it. It's a chihuahua with horns, you know, True. we're not talking about, you know, facing down a brown bear or a Cape Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So, and he only got so much time. So, yeah. So, you know, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, you've d- been there, done that. 
now nowadays it's all about the good stuff that you really like, right? The stuff that you can face up and go, okay, mano y mano. And sheep. You know, I still put in for all the permits and still enjoy sheep hunting. And But yeah, I want to do... Is the, there a the, sheep that you haven't taken that you really want to take? Uh, not. Uh, I have... There's one in Russia. I don't have the Kolima. And... Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop, stop, stop for a second. You're saying you don't have the Kolima, but Jim Shockey has the Kolima? <laughs> Oh my God, we had to go there. Yes, <laughs> but I do have some that he doesn't have. So uh, yeah, we'll th- we'll throw that one out. I'm not sure Jim's got. The I know set. you have a. I know you have a love hate relationship with Jim Shockey. Oh no, we're we're actually good mates. No, I, just, I, I was just speaking with him the other day. We're going to be doing the SCI awards again this year. Fantastic. So, yeah, so we're already plotting our uh, strategy, and then uh, what we do is we make this really big game plan, and it's very organized. And then we then get it falls stage, apart. And it's just 90% of it's ad lib. And, uh, you know, I got pages of notes and things that we're supposed to do. And I give Jim his script. And all of a sudden it turns into, you know, Alan, Jim going at it. But, yeah, no, it's really fun. So I'm looking forward to it. But, yeah, uh, no, I don't have that one. And uh, let's see. Well, there's some that aren't open that I don't have. You know, I got into Iran and got a couple of them there. I got three mm-hmm. in there. There's two in there I still don't have either, but being now it's closed, you know, I'll never sure, sure. my sheep, uh, although I wouldn't mind going back to Russia and doing that sheep, you know, maybe once things open back up again. So is there, maybe you've covered this already. I know we've talked about the Astor Markor and we just talked about the sheep. Is there an animal specifically that you're like, that's what I'm going. If, if I got an opportunity, that's what I'm going after. As of right now, I have a permit to shoot a free range Audad in Morocco. And I can't wait. I don't know what it is. You know, I, I didn't get the chance to go to Chad when they were open there. And, you know, the guys that were hunting in Sudan, it was pretty easy. Aren't they shooting Audad in Sudan right now? Uh, they're trying. Uh, they're real small okay. if, if they get one. And it's been very difficult. And, the ones in Morocco are the real, you know, I mean, I don't want to say. In I'm the Atlas knocking. Mountains, right? Right. And I'm not knocking the Sudanese ones because they are still sure. wild and sure. that's where they're from and all that. But to go in there, I was in there about seven years ago and hiked into the park and came up from the other side and saw them in there. And there's some tremendous trophies in there. And I don't know what it is, the Atlas Mountains. It goes back to reading those old books, you know, that uh, Elgin Gates and yeah, yeah, yeah. were putting out. and those adventures that they went on in there. And I'm, I'm so excited about getting to go and do that. It's just going to be a, you know, a great trip. I mean, Ed, well, if you need someone to carry your bags or, you know, since you're, you know, you're, you're a silverback now, you need somebody to like put the backpack on them. I'm happy to do that for, for you. Um, well, plus those rough conditions in Marrakesh at the palace hotel, that's a, that's going to be pretty tough to put up with too. So when, before, look, Look, I have to. I'll I'll sacrifice for the good. Um, I'm happy to sacrifice for the good. But no, on a legitimate on a legitimate note, that is. It's almost like. It's the it's the home of the species, right? You've got Ardet here in America, all that kind of stuff. It's the home of the species. It's a mountain range that nobody gets to hunt very often, if at all. That that that. 
that has to be like top class, top of the pinnacle. Wow, I'm I'm taking steps in a place that probably nobody's ever taken a step in for a long time. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. I, I, in all honesty, I don't know when the last one was shot in Morocco. It's a long, long time ago because never in in my life of in my hunting life have you been able to hunt there. So, yeah, that'll be pretty exciting. And you know, we're always looking for new opportunities, and if we can help through conservation measures and that by opening up new uh, concessions and you know you and I are both big proponents of the sustainable use conservation practice and method and you know I personally see it working every single day wherever I go and I'm more than happy to help wherever I can to make sure that that continues whether that's through money or time spent or you know going to these places and doing it yeah it's fun to go and do it and you know I've luckiest man in the world to get to do what I do. But when you see that the Marcors came back because of hunting, when you see that, you know, the Audet, the only reason they're opening Audet is because they want some income for these Audet so they can protect the park and everything else. Because nobody goes to the park. I mean, no one's going to climb up there to look at Audet, right? No tourists. There's nobody going there. So they've got no income coming in. So here again, it's going to be a great model. They're going to issue six permits. And they're not giving them away. So, you know, it'll really help contribute to the economy there for the, the, the parks department and, you know, the others that are going to be taking care of sheep and protecting them. So, and you're going to see the locals then, you know, I don't know that they've got a huge poaching problem, but certainly, you know, as we like to say, you know, one man's endangered species is another man's lunch. Mm-hmm. So if we can encourage them by bringing revenue into the area that they see that it's better to leave them alone than you know, have them for lunch, then great, you know, so. No, I, um, I, again, I was joking, but I wasn't because I think that that would be a phenomenal Blood Origins piece. Like just, in, it, just the story behind it, them opening, talking to the locals, sitting them down, what does it mean to you? You know, it, it was, you know, endangered species versus lunch kind of deal. What you just said would be fascinating. And I think it would just be phenomenal, uh, phenomenal cinematography. Yeah, no, it should be great. And it's such a beautiful country. I went there. They have a wild boar that's there called a Barbary wild boar. And it is, you know, I thought it was just another one of these, you know, hair splitting species type of things. But it's a pretty legit. It's a weird, long nosed uh, boar. It's not a warthog. It's uh, more like the European wild boar, but it's, you know, definitely got a bit of a different body structure to it. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's a ton of them because nobody kills them to eat them, you know, being a Muslim country. Sure, sure pig and all that but uh that was a blast great bird hunting well alan i um i thoroughly enjoyed uh picking your brain it was obviously a very different podcast and i wanted it to be different because i don't get to speak with many people that have the hunting experience we could have you know talked about conservation and all the rest of it but i think just you being you and the humorous side of what you do and obviously the adventures that you have been on for I don't know how old you are, so I don't want to say 60 years or 70 years, you know? Yeah. Well, it couldn't be 70 years because I would have to start before I was born. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and one, one other thing about that is what's been really fun has been that the last, whatever it's been, 10 years, that we, once I got done with the species chasing, then we could start having fun with filming and you know enjoying that part of it 
And I got to say, it's, it's been so much fun getting to spend time and thinking about scripts and thinking about skits and, uh, you know, doing a funny music video, if that fit in or what, it's just been, it's been the most enjoyable, uh, artistic release that you could have. And, you know, I've been blessed with having a great crew around me and everything else. And they, you know, real pros like my cameraman, Jeff Barker and Jason Murillo and Heidi Adams and them, they've done such a great job with it, but it's, uh, it, it, it's been awesome. And, and the good thing is it's allowed me to share it because a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff you do when you show the local people and you show the mountains that you're in, or you're in the swamp, whatever, whatever it is you're doing, hopefully people learn something from it or they see something they've never seen before, or they, you know, see somebody doing something. They're thinking, shouldn't that guy be a little more serious when he's that close to Cape Buffalo? But you know, whatever. So it's been a blast, but this has been a great day. I sure appreciate you having me on and uh, I look forward to it. And fingers crossed, we'll be doing the conventions here pretty quick. Yes, sir. I think it'll be fine. Um, and for those of you wondering, the the show that Alan is referring to is Rugged X. Rugged X is on Sportsman's Outdoor Channel. We're on, we've uh, moved over to YouTube. Okay, and, perfect. And to uh, Amazon Prime. You can get us on both those. And if you go to either one of them and just put J. Allen Smith in there, they come up and there's a hundred and something shows in there with all kinds Fantastic. of different Yeah. And so if you've enjoyed this little 30 minutes with Alan picking his brain, I know you will enjoy Rugged X. Um, as you said, the comedic aspect of it, the hunting aspect of it, the adventures, it's all sort of melded into one. It's very unique, uh, just given your personality, obviously. Thanks a million. You're the man, Elaine. <laughs> See you later, Mr. Krager. <laughs> well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.